0: Hey, this is Joe Bakhmutsky and welcome to Simplified Cancer Podcast. When you're dealing with cancer, the spotlight is on you. But what about your partner or another person who can't be without you? For them, it's it's just as tough, if not more, because not only are they trying to help you and be there for you, they also wanna try to have some normal life, You know, just living from day to day. We don't get to hear this side of the cancer story. So that's why, and today you're gonna meet Jill. Jill's partner had prostate cancer and Jill has some profound insight about what this experience was like for her. And she shares some unique strategies that enabled her and her partner to deal with cancer in a very proactive way, by taking back control, by taking the power away from cancer. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? Hi, Jill. Thank you so much for your time. Jill, I want to start with something we touched on just a few minutes ago. And, you know, I, I often, uh, you know, we have conversations and I feel like I should be recording this. And this was, this was one of them. And we were talking about gratitude and, you know, how expressing gratitude in the right way can really, you know, ma- make you feel better and, and close the loop in some ways. Can you talk about that? I think in relation to cancer and the experience that you guys went through.
1: Um, When Sam was diagnosed with prostate cancer, that was six years ago and it was a huge shock and I think it woke us up. It made me realise that throughout life we take our loved ones in particular um, for granted. We expect them to be there, we expect them to do things and sometimes we forget to say thanks and it's not just thanks, it's showing your appreciation, that you're grateful for them, one, being in your life, and two, doing the things that they're doing and showing you how they love and support you in return. So it's that acknowledgement of their existence, of their experience, and your combined experience. So it's making sure that it's always front of mind now, I on a daily basis. I let Sam know how I'm grateful for things that he does, and it's not being sarcastic or condescending. It's coming from the heart, and it's like, "Thanks, I appreciate what you've done." It, it's showing that type of appreciation right throughout life. Sam has always been my rock. He's been my go-to person. Early in our marriage, we sat and we had long conversations, as you do when you're young. <laughs> <laughs> And we talked about what path we wanted to take as a couple and individually. And I always wanted to go on and do study and Sam wasn't interested. So that was fine. So he enabled me to fulfill my dreams. He always supported me. We've got three kids and when they were younger, Sam became their primary carer at one stage because he was working shift work. And I was like, thank you for doing that. I appreciate that. And sometimes we just forget that we take it for granted. Yeah, this is going to happen. And we all get on because we're all busy living our lives, doing our things, thinking about work, thinking about home, the garden, the kids, finances, whatever. But focusing on the individual and being grateful for them being in your life.
0: Exactly. That's so well put, Jill, because. I think in many cases, like you say, we, we forget and, and start to take things for granted, and cancer becomes this, this big wake-up call, and yeah. it's a different modality, because cause all of a sudden, every day, I guess, is a gift, right?
1: Yeah, it is. You you actually value the time that you're having, rather than sitting thinking, oh, gee, I wish it was next month, because we're going to do this, <laughs> or I, I wish yeah. it was Christmas time, or I wish it was next year, or yes, I, it's fine to look forward to things. Still appreciate every day and the gift that you've been given. And it's like when Sam was diagnosed with cancer, everything became a blur in an instant. Time stopped, and it was like all of a sudden, it was like there was nothing there. My whole life flashed before me. One, I was sitting thinking, I wonder how Sam's coping with this news. And then I'm thinking, I'm not going to have my lifelong partner. And that That seriously is a wake-up call, especially when you've found your soulmate and you've built such a strong relationship with each other. To have someone tell you that, oh yes, you've got cancer. While the prognosis is quite good, you've still heard that C word. Yep. And that stops everything dead in its tracks. All of a sudden, the plans and dreams that you've had for the future have to be rethought. And that's why it comes back to being grateful for each day. We still have plans for the future. Um, We still look forward to holidays, but we also look at each other daily and say, thank you. And it it just doesn't mean the words, it's by actions and affection and building things together. Like we've built a family, we've built a friendship circle, and it's about being grateful for all of that as well.
0: Absolutely. And Jill, so in terms of that's such an important thing, you know, expressing gratitude and living living in the moment. Yeah. So how do you do that? Did that sort of come naturally or did you have to build it into your daily practice?
1: Well, Sam and I have been married for 40 odd years. And because we'd got into such a routine of expecting each other to be there and you nearly go into automatic, that we did have to retrain ourselves to think about, bringing it to front of mind, doing that whole mindfulness thing, being in the moment rather than thinking, while I was sitting next to Sam, oh, I wonder what the dog's doing. Or And it's fine to have those thoughts, but come back and focus on the person that you're with and the, the experience that you're having at that particular time. And it's those memories that you build as you're going through are the things that you hold on to that give you hope.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I even noticed in, in my own experience that Kind of being in the moment and becoming a part of, you know, like, for example, if I was there with my son, if I was with Mike, like, when I stopped myself from checking the phone or thinking about other plans and just, you know, like, just you know, sort of going crazy with him, you know, would have a huge pillow fight, and it gave me such a, a tremendous lift. Like, you know, life, it became such a totally different
1: experience. It, yeah.
0: You know, or when I would be with my wife, with Olivia, when we would be sitting down having a conversation, and when we were fully engaged and not thinking about anything else, like it just gives you so much clarity into just everyday life. I think, you know, cancer just kind of wakes you up and shakes you out of things, and you go, no, like this is what matters, and it makes you feel so much better, right? Yeah.
1: When, when you're diagnosed with cancer, it's nearly like some people look at it as a life sentence. Whereas we looked at it as we had opportunities, we had choices. We could sit and be sorry for ourselves and spend the rest of our days worrying about what was on the horizon, or we could choose to experience life and be grateful for the things that we've got and the experiences that we have. And that's what we chose. So it's not easy. It is very, very draining. I see it as from two different aspects one from the cancer sufferer all of a sudden you're faced with your own mortality and that's hard because we'd all like to think we'd live forever and it's like especially if you're young you've got your life ahead of you when sam was diagnosed with cancer he was in his mid-50s and it's like we still had a lot of living to do and he was faced with that and he turned around and said i don't want to die and it's like from a carer's point of view i didn't want him to die either and it's like, so we both had this mutual agreement that we were going to live, live for the moment without being frivolous and silly, um, rather than saying, oh, in 10 years time, we will do this. We do it now. And it's like, we also learned that lesson from Sam's dad. Sam's dad was a really, really hard worker all of his life. He worked shift work. He sacrificed everything for, for the family. And we kept saying to him, why don't you take a break, go on a holiday? And he said, when I retire, I'll do that. When he retired, he was diagnosed with lung cancer and died within a year. He never got that opportunity. And that was a wake-up call for us back then, like that was 30-odd years ago, um, that never put anything off. Always do things as you're going through. So our kids have grown with us and experienced things with us over the years. And we've got some amazing memories. And they're the things that keep you going in the hard times. Like when, when you face the, the black tunnel sort of thing, we, you feel like you don't know how you're going to get through it. We draw on the memories and that gives us strength again. Thinking we've actually done and achieved some amazing things with our kids, with ourselves, with our, our friends and work colleagues. So,
0: now that's very powerful jill and I, and i um and I just want to pick up on what you said about choice is that sometimes pain is mandatory, but really that's that suffering is optional that yeah. that we choose we choose the experience and how, and how we deal with these tough times,
1: yeah, exactly, like we sat back and said, okay, it's not Sam's fault that he got cancer, but we're responsible for our emotions and feelings, so we've taken responsibility for that rather than putting the blame on oh, we didn't eat properly or there's too many um, chemicals in our environment or, or whatever. So we've taken responsibility for our emotions. So we've got those choices. So And it's about taking that responsibility. Like while cancer at times can dictate how you have to live, you can still choose how you do live. So it's having that support and that friendship around you.
0: Absolutely, Jill. And in terms of, uh, you know, obviously, you know, from the time of diagnosis to to treatment to to the reality of now, I mean, there's there's obviously, there's a lot of ups and downs that happen. So, I guess this everyday reality of of how you were dealing with it, you know, mentally, emotionally, has has that changed over time?
1: I still get neurotic. Like, when Sam was first diagnosed, I mentioned that I saw my whole life go in front of my eyes. And it's like, It took us a little while to come to terms with it. Like it's nearly like, well, if we eat this and if we do that, it might go away. But it doesn't go away. It's there. And it's like, okay, we need to now deal with this. And Sam went through treatment and every every three months he had to go in and have tests. And leading up to that test, I get really, really scared. Sam gets really worried and until you actually get the results from those tests and you go, Oh, we're okay. We've passed this and you get on to the next one. But leading up to that again, you still get scared and you still get neurotic and you still worry. And that even happens today. And it's like Sam's now at 18 month checkups, which is really good. But I'm always vigilant with prostate cancer. It can turn into metastatic cancer in the spine. So, if Sam comes and complains of backache, the first thing my mind does is go to, has the cancer spread? So, yeah, it is an emotional roller coaster going through that, but you have to keep going. And it's like, I haven't felt the support from external organizations. I've felt the support from the bond that Sam and I have. We sit and we talk about it. And then once again, we plan well, if it's this, we can do that. If it's not, well, then, yep, let's go and do something different. So it's around that taking control of and responsibility for how your life ends up.
0: And I love what you say about taking control because I think that's that's such a a huge thing. For me, it was, um, I think it was a big moment when I accepted cancer because Mm. when I had my first initial diagnosis and I had my procedure and, you know, I thought that, you know, maybe this is it, maybe it's gone away. and I kind of pushed this reality away. And when it came back and I had to go for chemo and all and all this stuff, like it really hit me over the head with it. and I realized that it happened because I was I was kind of denying denying the reality of what was happening. I was kind of hoping that maybe, maybe it's gonna go away. But yeah. it doesn't. I mean, and, and, and like you say, it's about, it's about acknowledging mm-hmm. that it's happening and starting to deal with it, right? Yeah. With, with like, you know, having an action plan and, and, and yeah. executing, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. So, like I said, you've got choices. And initially when Sam was diagnosed, we went through denial. And it was like, this isn't happening. This can't be happening. Then we were really, really angry. Well, why has this happened to us? We're good people. And it, it takes you on a whole journey of exploring what your values are as a person. So denial, anger, and then you think, well, if we eat this way, maybe it'll go away. So it's that bargaining and it's like <laughs> yeah. That, that was really bizarre. Like we got quite caught up in having to eat um organic foods and we've now gone back to eating normal foods. <laughs> <laughs> But it's like you try and grab hold of anything that you think is going to make this cancer go away rather than acknowledging that it's actually there. So it's not letting it consume your whole life. It's like, okay, the cancer is part of me, but it doesn't define who I am. It's like my family, my friends and the things that I do and my values define who I am. So it's being authentic to yourself. And I think that takes a a while to work through. I know it did with us. It took, while Sam was on his um, 3 months checks after his um, procedure and everything, it took us quite a while to work through it. But we were very fortunate that we've got a close family circle and we've got really, really close friends. Some of our friends dropped off along the way. They didn't know how to deal with it because that C, cancer word, is really scary. What's going to happen? Are they going to disappear out of my life and, and stuff like that? So our, some of our friends couldn't face it and couldn't talk to Sam. And that was really quite sad for Sam. But then the thing that kept him going and me was our close-knit family and our close circle of friends.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And I, I want to touch on on the friends bit. So you said that it's it's because they were afraid, you feel that they didn't know what to say? Yeah. Or is, is that what it is, just the awkwardness of Yeah, of there's
1: awkwardness, it. they didn't know what to say, they didn't know what it really meant. Like we all hear cancer and immediately we think of death. None of us like to think of death. So it's like they were avoiding the issue and it's like, I'm not angry at these people, it's just where they were at that point in their lives, like. We need to be able to talk about death, dying, cancer, and not feel bad about it. It's like, it's a fact of life.
0: And if you can't talk about it, then what are friends for?
1: Exactly. So it's finding that strength, and it's having that courageous conversation. So for Sam to sit down with our close circle of friends, and especially our kids, and say, I have been diagnosed with cancer, that was like putting it in concrete. It became real at that point. Whereas up until then, it was like there was that denial, oh, it might go away, and that anger that why did it happen to me? But once he actually could sit down and verbalise it and say, it's like, okay, and the kids would say to us, well, what's going to happen? So it's going from thinking about it to having a goal and then that action plan and working through it. And then you actually start to feel like you're in control again.
0: Yeah, Jill, you know, I I feel that, you know, with cancer, something you just mentioned, like, you know, when Sam was breaking the news to kids, I mean, what often happens is that, and I know that this was in my case when I was going through treatment, I think that my my mom and and my wife were under more pressure than I was, and they were really struggling with it probably even more than I was, because I guess the way I see that when you have cancer, like the spotlight is on you. And, And if you, for example, are the partner, not only do you have to, you know, be the the rock who, who supports um, your partner through it, you also have to deal with all this daily life and you have to try to maintain some sort of semblance of normality. So w- how was that experience for you and, and how did you deal with this, with this whole madness overall?
1: It was very, very draining. As you mentioned, the cancer sufferer is in the spotlight and rightly so. They're, they're the one that's going through the treatment, but I felt I didn't have the support Up until Sam was diagnosed with cancer, we used to share responsibilities like finances, cooking, cleaning, all of that. When Sam was actually first diagnosed, I took over the finances. I took over all the cleaning. I took over all the cooking. I went to work full time. So that was a strain on me and there really wasn't anywhere that I felt I could turn. It's like I had to be the strong one because I had to support Sam. And even now I'm forever vigilant of how he is. It's like, i it's always in the back of my mind. It's something you never forget. And it's like, how are you? Are you okay? And, and thank you for being there sort of thing. So it's like the carer, the carer needs as much support as the, the person with the cancer, the sufferer. And I didn't feel that there was many organisations or much information for me um, going through this. When Sam was first diagnosed, the the way I deal with things is I read about it and I study and then I can absorb the information and then I can think, okay, well, this is the direction that I need to go in. There was very limited information for me on prostate cancer within Australia. I found American sites and Googled all of that. Is it relevant in Australia? I had no idea. And it's like the statistics that they were giving, are they the same type of statistics in Australia? Possibly not. I, I didn't know and I still don't know. And it's like you can get caught up too much in, oh yes, you've got a life expectancy of five years or 10 years or and the percentage of people that die within those times. If you let that dictate, you'll miss the life experiences as you're going through. So it's like, okay, I need to be responsible for myself and how I can be strong. And I do, I break down every now and then. But I've got, like I mentioned, that family support and our close friends. And being able to talk about it with somebody helps share the load.
0: How do you talk about it? I mean, um, because sometimes it's a hard thing to bring up. How do you talk about it? What do you do?
1: When Sam was initially diagnosed, when we sat and told our kids, we were sitting around the dinner table, as we do every week. We've got this relationship with our kids where everything is open and honest and we discuss the good, the bad and the ugly. And we sat and we said, okay, we've got some hard news to tell you. And it was like, take a deep breath. Here we go. And Sam actually told the kids. It was coming from him and I was there. And then we all sat and cried. all gave each other a hug and said, okay, what are we going to do about this? So it was getting that support initially, having that courageous conversation and then having that support around So. When I'm having a hard time, I sit and I talk to um, my kids. They're all adult. I talk to my friends. And it's like I do tell them that when Sam's coming up for his next round of tests, I get really worried. I do tell them that if Sam has um, aches and pains in his body, I do think has the cancer spread. Our friends now do the same thing for him. If Sam's saying, oh, I've got a really bad back today, and they say, have you had that checked? Yep. What can we do to help? Do you want us to come around and do the gardening and stuff like that? That's the way. Yeah, so it's sharing the experience.
0: You know, and another thing you you, you made me think of was, uh, and uh, you know, I'm no expert uh, the animal world, but I was watching a documentary one day and I saw this. I think it was uh, an antelope or a zebra. It, it ran away from the lion. And as soon as it's escaped, it started shivering. It literally started shaking. Mm -hmm. And they said that this is how this animal processed all this fear and tension that was inside it. And I think that us as humans don't really do that enough. You know, like what you talked about, just, you know, it's okay to break down and cry because you have to let it out, right?
1: You do. Like if you, you need to be in touch with how you're actually feeling, you need to be able to express those feelings. I'm sad, I'm scared, because once you've shared it, it helps you, once you've verbalised it, it helps you deal with it, or well, that's what we found in our experience. Initially, when Sam was diagnosed with the cancer, I was really, really run down, because my whole focus was making sure he was living. So I took on responsibility for everything initially, and I found that I got colds and flu and bronchitis that... I had to take a step back and say, I need to look after me so I can care for Sam. Now he wasn't an invalid and he's not an invalid, but it's that whole mentally draining experience. So I do, I look after myself. I have to make sure that I'm well, I meditate. That And I do, I get stressed. I've got work pressures. I've got family pressures, financial pressures, all part of life that I've got into the habit where I meditate before I go to sleep each night. I sit and I have 10 minutes just for me to clear my mind. Or sometimes I even go through an action plan in my head because I can't help doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not um, surprised. <laughs> but then it helps me relax. And it's like, once again, I'm responsible and I can be in control of how I act and how how I deal with things. So it's really important to find something especially for the carer the sufferer needs to find something that will give them hope so that they can hold on to that the carer needs to find something to give them support and calmness to be able to deal with the things that you're going through
0: that's that's very profound Jill especially the part about you know putting yourself first and finding you know, a way for you first and foremost as the carer to to find a way to deal with it, to um, kind of deal with pressure. And you mentioned meditation. So how did you get into that? Because I think meditation and mindfulness are some of those things that we all hear about, but they can be hard to put into daily practice. How do you go around doing that?
1: I do a lot of reading, and I've done study on all sorts of things that when I find something that I think might be of interest. I'll explore it even further and then I will try it out. I'm the sort of person that I need to take the theory and then experience it. So it becomes practical for me. And it's like mindfulness, that was really an interesting topic for me. So I did, I I read about it and then I've tried to do it. And you do, you need to be disciplined in yourself. And it's like, I keep having to remind myself to be present in the moment because you don't know when the next moment will be. And cancer is that wake-up call. I think people generally today are so caught up with living and busy lives and that we forget that you need to be in the moment. So you do, you need to be disciplined. I do, I, I read a lot. So that helps me explore different things that work for me. Like when I say I do meditation, I'm not sort of some strange hippie that goes <laughs> off and sits naked in in amongst trees. But I, if I'm really stressed, I find being outside gives me solace. It helps calm me down. So Sam and I now each week make sure that we go out and experience like parks or trees or nature or the beach or something like that and just sit and exp- there's a calmness, a stillness about it. And it reminds you that things just go on. So it, it's that's part of the meditation as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely just just making it part of part of your everyday experience. Yeah, okay, exactly. And you touched on you know having a practical things that kind of fell on you. And, and I think you said that you didn't really have as much help as you would have liked. Do you think it's okay to ask for help? Would you have done that differently if you had the chance?
1: Looking back, yes, I would do it differently. We're all very, very proud. No one likes to think that my partner, my husband has got cancer. It's like, have I failed as a wife because he's got cancer? And you become become introspective and you think, what can I do? I need to do something to, to make this right. Whereas looking back, I should have reached out more. I'm sure there is resources out there. I still haven't found them, but I'm, <laughs> I'm sure they're, they're, they're there somewhere. But it was me that didn't reach out. I could have gone back to our oncologist. And I did a couple of times. And what I got was, don't worry about it. Okay, but that is superficial. I needed more information so I could understand. So I didn't have to worry about it. So it's overcoming your your personal inhibitions to be able to say, I need help. And from a carer's point of view, you're so focused on the sufferer that you don't want to have to see that you're needy. So you don't necessarily say, I need help. Yeah,
0: that is that is so true. And I know that and um, I remember that we had friends saying to um, both my wife and myself saying, just let me know how it can help mm. and i remember that was such an infuriating experience yeah <laughs> because you kind of go well i wish you would be a little bit more specific and offered like something yeah. uh, helpful and practical uh, because i'm not gonna just you know come up with a favor to ask you sort of thing but at the same time i guess people want to help but they really don't don't know how and and they really need to um, be guided sometimes right Yeah,
1: th- they do You need to find the the inner strength to be able to say, I need somebody to help me do the gardening or I need somebody to take the dog for a walk or I need somebody to help me with the cooking or stuff like that. And it's finding that inner strength. But as I mentioned, your pride gets in the way because we all like to think that we're able to do things. And you struggle to say, I need help.
0: That's such a great point, Jill. And I really want to thank you for your time. It's been absolutely fantastic.
1: Okay. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Good luck on your journey.
0: (laughs) Thanks.